Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue to read from Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sindarbha. Uh, we're in the section on the Bahiranga Shakti where the specific all-pervasiveness of the Paramatma feature of the Absolute is there in the external energy. In this place, in the Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami is using evidence to support this concept and to to bring out and explain various misconceptions regarding the nature of matter. Basically, there's a lot of ideas of what constitutes the material energy and how it works. Those particular ideas comprise schools of logic or a logical explanation of matter in the Indian culture. Of course, in Western culture, we also have many schools of thought in regards to matter. We have big universities and big professors, and they have big, they come out with their various thesis on the nature of matter. And over, as time goes forward, those things change. There's always a new idea. So now we're in like a period in, in our culture, Western culture of sciences, where the vogue or in the the in thing is is a conception of uh, it's quantum physics. Mm. They've gone past the new new Newtonian ideas of for every action there's an opposite equal reaction. Now they now they've moved beyond that simplistic thought. They've moved to another level of of thought in regards to the nature of matter and and the constituents of matter, and uh, they, they're calling that the, the quantum paradigm. So now it's, well, we don't really know, because along comes this genius Einstein, and he says, well, is it matter, or, you know, how's it all play together? It's matter, but matter forced by energy, affected by time, in a different circumstance, it's all relative, so it's, how can we really put our finger on it? But if we couldn't put our finger on it, we'll make it into a button and we could blow up the whole world <laughs> with my ideas. And he, with Oppenheimer and other big thinkers, came up with first mathematical formulae that evolved into physical application of those formulae wherein they could make the sun happen on earth in a small way and we call that nuclear fission and if we can harness it we can unharness it so let's harness it with the idea and let's with the harnessing of it figure out how to unharness it on other parts of humanity for our benefit and now that that's moved aside and now we're at a quantum thing like well, we don't know really what's moving it. If it's time and energy equals matter times EMC squared, now it's past that to this quantum idea. So these approaches to understanding matter are not a new thing, although in Western society we think we have the newest and the best and the brightest ideas regarding matter. But 
there's been other thinkers in the world, and they've been also thinking about this actually probably a lot longer than our Western scientific community has. These things were thought about not just recently, but before. So we're studying the Sandarbas, which are basically based upon scriptural ideas as presented 500 years ago. And in this particular section of the Paramatma Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami is dealing with the ideas that were in vogue at his time. Those ideas and those approaches, those logics, schools of logic and reason and understanding regarding the nature of being and the nature of matter and the nature of existence uh, were there for, for hundreds of years, if not longer. So, in this section, Jiva's, we're, we're going back in time and seeing Jiva dealing with those schools of logic in his writings so that he could present the deepest understanding of these subjects, the nature of matter, um, and according to scriptural insight. So in doing that, he draws from the Bhagavatam and shows that the Bhagavatam actually deals with these other schools of thought. So the Anacheta that we're, we're going to be reading tonight is going to touch upon those schools of thought. And as I mentioned, the commentary dives deeply into those schools of thought. And I'll give you an example of the commentary, but the commentary is extremely terse, and we want to know what the conclusion of the commentary is for us to go into understanding the arguments. You'll see by the example that I'll read to understand all these arguments you've got to be have have trained your mind in dealing with that the methodology of ideas and how they how they were dealt with between the different schools of thought so there's the you know the the thesis and then the the porvapaksa the argument and you know so we've heard a little bit about that but uh, we're going to go to we're going to go through this and get to the essence. But we're going to we're going to give ourselves a, a little bit. We're going to get our a little toe a little wet in the discourse just to uh, just to see what what kind of thinking's going on there. Anacheta sixty four. The body is not an independent unit. This particular Anacheta again we're continuing a discussion between Narda and. Maharaj Yudhisthira, Narada has explained to Yudhisthira the significance of Dharma and human society. And he's going he's gonna to come around back to Dharma and human society at the very, at the, at the end of these, four, these five verses. So they're going to end up back with that. So that discussion's happened. And now he's getting into the nature of, of material what what we experience in, in the material world. 
So, Narada says, the mental representation, 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 chaya of perceptible objects, so the mind is presenting to itself, really, it's, it's coming up, what am I seeing, as single independent units composed of elements such as earth and so on, is indeed neither the aggregate of those elements, nor their compound, nor even their modification. Since the representational whole is neither distinct from its constitutive parts, nor is it combined with them, through the relation of inheritance. Hence, it is false. How all of these different ways of thinking of matter, and we find in here, these hidden within the verse are the different schools of thought. The schools of thought being presented as, he's saying that however your mind is thinking of matter, it really is it doesn't matter because it's not it's not the true understanding. It's basically what Nard is telling you to steer here. However you're thinking of matter, if you're thinking of it as what? Composed of elements. If you're thinking as a body, as a as as being composed of elements, or if you're thinking at a uh, such as earth and so on, earth, water, fire, so we'd say our body is I mean, it's a logical way to think of your body. It's made of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. Here we're talking with the gross uh, elements, so just the five, uh, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. So if you're thinking of it as just elements, uh, or if you're thinking of it, it is indeed neither the aggregate of those elements nor their compound components coming together, nor even their modification. Earth is being modified and it's making a body or it's making a table. So we're talking about both body things we perceive in the world, bodies and, and, and physical objects, inert objects, non-conscious entity. So Jiva goes on. The word chaya, shadow or semblance, here refers to the body and other perceptible objects. So, that's a representation of what we're perceiving in the world. Here refers to the body and other, other perceptible objects composed of the five elements beginning with earth and mentally represented or conventionally perceived as a single independent unit. This is a table, this is a chair, this is a man, this is a woman, a dog, a cat, a cow, whatever, whatever you're, you know. Uh, this mental, mentally represented unit, chaya, is not any of the following, the aggregate, the compound, or the modification of its five constitutive elements. So, whatever your vision may be, 
The body cannot be an aggregate. Now, these, this is where I said it gets a little like, whoa, it seems like a little double speak being used here. But let's just go through it. This is Jiva Goswami talking. So he's talking in the, in the, the mood of his day in logical presentation. The body cannot be an aggregate, sangata, of those elements in the way that a forest is an aggregate of trees. Because in the case of an aggregate, the whole cannot be pulled simply by pulling a single part of it. An entire forest is surely not pulled by pulling one tree, whereas it is possible, for example, to pull the body by pulling the hand. So it's not an aggregate. Nor can the representational unit, chaya, of their compound vikara come into being, arabda, and possessing component parts, avayavi. The word api also indicates that it is not a modification, parinam, either. How so does the representation come into being and become a modification separate from these parts? i.e. the five elements, or does it consist of the parts by the relation of inherence? It cannot be completely separate from its parts because one does not perceive it to be so. Nor is it combined with them, for if it were so, the question would arise, does the whole pervade its parts or does it inhere in every part in its entirety or only partially? <clears throat> okay. So, Jiva Goswami goes on. If the first option were true, that the body pervades every part in its entirety, okay, if the first option was true, the body pervades every part in its entirety. Then even one figure alone could be taken as the entire body. If the second, then accepting that the body pervades every part only partially, would lead to an endless process of partition. The fault of infinite regress. Therefore, it is concluded that the existence of the body, etc., as an independent entity is false. As an independent entity, that's the key word here, and that's going to carry through into the next Anucheta. All right, I'm going to read one paragraph to give you an idea. As I said, those that want to go deeper can, can do so. Nyaya... It's the school of logic. So the school of logic cites, their, their texts cite and refute epistemological theory of unknown origin which states that all direct perception of external objects on analysis are cases of inference. So the Nyayas say that it's all in your mind. You're putting it all together in your mind. This theory holds that for something, such as a table, to be perceived by an external sense, it must possess perceptible magnitude. 
This means that the object must be composed of parts because an incomposite thing can have no sensible or measurable dimension. If a table is to be perceived, then all of its parts must be seen simultaneously. But it is impossible to see it in its entirety because our sense of sight can come in contact only with what is before us. Therefore, we may say that we see a table when in fact we see only the front of it and then infer the rest, which is imperceptible. This goes on for paragraph and paragraph. He goes into the Nyaya school. He, he takes this argument through different stages of, well, you're not seeing the whole table, so you're inferring it's a table. You're seeing, I'm seeing this edge, I'm seeing a little bit of the top, I'm seeing a leg or two, I'm not seeing all the legs from this angle, I don't see any legs, but I'm perceiving a table, so it has to be all inference. So he goes through that whole thing. Well, so really you're not seeing the table at all. You're thinking you see a table, but you're not seeing a table. You're seeing the top of a table and thinking it's a table. Well, that's an inference. So, all of these different things, it's made up of an inference, it's made up of component parts, it's made up of particles coming together, whether it be a body or an object. All those arguments are logically gone through in paragraph after paragraph. The Nyaya school, the Buddhist school, the Advaitin school, they all adhere to one or a conglomeration of different ideas when it comes to the perceptible world. Srila Jiva Goswami, on the basis of Shastra, says that these conclusions are all wrong. They're all false. They're all unacceptable. That's his conclusion. None of them are logically sound. And in this particular commentary, you have a scholar, Sachin Das, who knows all these schools and how all these different schools present this information, and he refutes them by unpacking jivas, by, by first of all logically refuting them, logically refuting every idea of them, and then he comes to the, the, the final summation, which is really what is, what do we think, what do we believe? What do we, what do I believe, Jeeva's saying, this is what I believe, and my belief is based on Scripture. So what scripture say about all this perception? So I'm going to read the final paragraph of the Anucheta. From this, it is concluded that a unit, whatever that perceptible unit is, whether a body, a table, a chair, a house, a car, whatever it may be, such as the gross physical body 
is neither an aggregate of its parts, it's not that, nor a new object separate from its parts. In other words, you put the parts together and they make something new. Well, it's not that either. It's not separate. <clears throat> nor is it a unit identical with its part. Although it's constituted of parts, it's not really the parts that make the unit. Okay, this is the conclusion. It's none of those ideas. The question then arises, what is a unit? Such as our physical body. It's a reasonable question at the end of all such a discussion. What is a unit then? The verse under discussion concludes that our representation, representation of the object as a single unit must be false because it cannot be proven logically. So he's gone through all this logic and he's, he's broken it all down and smashed all of it. So logically, you're not going to come to the conclusion. You're not going to be able to logically say it's constituted of parts, it's constituted of, of particles, it's, it's constituted of, uh, it's an aggregate. Sri Jiva Goswami comments in this connection that it is not the body itself that is false, but the mental or intellectualized representation, chaya, of it as existing as a singular unit independent of its cause. Aikya, budya, alambana rupa as a single unit independent of its cause. Nobody can claim that the body is false. This would be like saying, I do not have a tongue in my mouth. It's an interesting concept. You can't say you don't have a tongue in your mouth. You have to use your tongue to express that. <clears throat> Obviously, such a statement is false. Because no one can speak without a tongue. All right, so now we know. <laughs> and these are the kind of arguments we have here, you know, in this section. All right, so we're not going to come to a conclusion here logically as to the nature of an object within our field of perception. Well, then what, what is it? We know it's something, but what is it? So we'll continue with what. Now, now Jeeva's going to gradually take us to, we know what it isn't, and we know all the ways you think about it don't work. All these logical constraints you, you try to use to explain it, don't explain it. I mean, really, when you think about what he's doing here, I mean, how deep, as I said, going down the rabbit hole is he taking us as a student? And and he's, he's saying, look here, you have this whole school of thought and they have all their ideas. And then he just smashes those. And then here we have a whole other way of looking at things. He smashes those. So now 
he's going to gradually bring us to the proper understanding. So the next anochate is 65. The material elements are also not independent causes. Generally, you'd think that the smallest particle would be the cause. Well, they are, but they're not independent. And now we're getting to the, now we're start, he's starting to pull us into the conceptualization which leads us to the, to the scripturally supported conclusion. In this way, after stating that it is impossible to describe <coughs> the body, etc., etc., as independent, Narda says that independence is similarly impossible for the causes of the body, namely the elements beginning with earth. So, we started off talking about objects. Now let's look at the constituents of those objects. What can, constitutes the constituents of the objects? Well, that's also... It's impossible to... Uh, what's it say here? They're... After saying that it's impossible to describe the body as independent, Narda says that independence is similarly impossible for the causes of the body, namely the elements beginning with earth. He goes on with the discussion, uh, Narda speaking to Eudistir uh, in the next verse. The gross elements, this is the very next verse in that series of verses, the gross elements, being compounds themselves, cannot exist apart from their subtle components. Indeed, if a compound is proved to be non-existence, a component is also proven to be ultimately non-existent. So he's taking the last argument regarding, okay, we put all this stuff together and we call it a table, and now he's saying, well, all right, but really the elements that you're saying constitute the table, they can't be seen as independent individually. Jiva explains the verse. The great elements, those substances which uphold, are the five great elements, which could not exist without their subtle components, the Tan Matras. So the Mahabhutas, the great elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, cannot exist, Jiva's saying. That's what the verse is saying. From this verse, we can conclude, Nara's telling you to steer, that the, the gross elements, they cannot exist without their subtle component. Earth has no existence unless there is the perception of smell. So without the Tan Matra, the earth has no, it, it can't be seen as separate from that. The smell of the earth is as much the earth as the element that you're calling earth. It, they're not two separate things. And of course, that goes through all the elements, earth, water, liquidity, you know. So we have all these Tan Mantras, which are the our experience of an element through the, the knowledge-acquiring senses cannot be seen, the experiential part of an element cannot be seen as separate from the element. 
So that the element can't be seen as a separate thing. Earth can't be se- Earth is not Earth unless you smell it. Like it doesn't have an aroma. <laughs> it does. You just can't. You, right your senses aren't aren't fine enough. But I, the mole or the other entity who has we have imperfect senses. Senses. Every living entity has senses that work in a certain realm. You're saying the Earth doesn't smell. Well, the hog says the smell. I smell it. You may not be able to smell. He can smell. If you had the senses of all the animals combined into one, then there has to be the sense there. Kind of like the dharma of things, like the dharma, like you can't separate it. Yes, yes, something like that. And that's funny you say that because that's going to play out as we go into the into the the later anucheta that wraps this this overall I section of, of, of thought up. Because the elements are also holes containing parts. Avayavi. Though they themselves are parts of other holes like the body. Jiva continues. Then may it not be claimed that the constituent parts are independent of the whole? In answer, the verse says that if the whole cannot be delineated in the or afore-described fashion as independent, then ultimately the parts are also not to be delineated as independent. This is because if knowledge of the whole cannot be ascertained by any means, then there is no proof of the existence of the parts characterized as atoms. Thus is, that is, thus is it said in the fifth canto. So this is a verse from the fifth canto. In the same way, that which is named earth is also not real because of its being dissolved into its cause, the atoms. And the atoms, paramanus, by whose combination the earth has been produced, are cognitive constructs conceived through ignorance. So even the idea of the smallest particle, the paramanu. Now, when we say paramanu from our script, from the scriptural perspective, it's it doesn't get smaller than that. It's not like an atom. An atom, we can go into an atom and then they have, you know, elect, right, a nucleus and electrons and protons. It's like a little universe in there. So this is, this is like, there's nothing like it. It's like, it's all the way at the, at the, at the, at the core of matter is this thing called a paramanu. It's like the smallest divisible thing when you look at matter. So, there's a verse that says our cognitive constructs conceived through ignorance. Even your conceiving of that is based upon ignorance. 
So we're going to get to a place where we're going to have an explanation that's going to be based on knowledge. We're, at the, we're coming, Jeeva's going through this and he's breaking it down and, and showing all these ideas you have in your mind. Whatever you've put together as a way of perceiving the reality around you. If you see any of that as independent in any way, then that kind of thought is ignorance. If you see it, so we're getting to a, a very subtle spiritual uh, position here. Therefore, that which appears to be a single unit through mental representationalism, the way we look at things, we mentally conceive, Aikya, Buddha, Alambana Rupa. That's our mental, that's the Sanskrit for our mental conceptions of the realities that we perceive, where we see independence, an independent thing, even down to the to the smart, smallest subdivisional particle that you can conceive of. You understand where Jeeva's going here? Okay. Is in fact only the real existent Vastu who is the cause of everything, identified as Paramatma, who is present everywhere. Therefore, the statement of verses... Nanacheta 62 is appropriate. What exists is the beginning, as the beginning, and the end of living beings is only he himself. The same is also stated in the third canto. And Jiva quotes from the third canto, from the sixth chapter. On learning from the gods that his creative powers, Mahat and so on, being unmixed, were in a dormant state and thus incapable of bringing forth the cosmos, the supreme regulator, Paramatma, assumed his divine potency called time and simultaneously entered the 23 categories. This counting 23 categories you may be familiar with from what? Sankhya philosophy. So we have 23 basic categories counted in different ways. Some people say 24, some people say 25, somebody, some people include the entity, the supreme, as separate. So, so it's just, but anyway, that's what's being referred to here. And in this particular sloka that's being quoted, that, that number 23 is used having entered them through the medium of his active potency, Chesterupena, and having awakened the dormant karma of the jivas, he combined the different elements together. In other words, God was told by the gods. Now, we don't know. I'm sorry, I didn't look up the context whether we're talking about Garbo Dakshai Vishnu or we're talking about Karna Dakshai Vishnu, whether we're talking about... Uh, uh, the uh, Sarga 
or Visarga. Sarga is the first manifestation of creation, Karna Dakshai Vishnu. Atra Sarga Visargas Cha. There's ten subjects in the in the Bhagavatam. So the first verse of the sloka, Atra Sarga Visargas Cha, is talking about the preliminary creation, Sarga, Atra Sarga, Visarga, the secondary creation. That's what Brahma does. So the primary creation or the secondary creation. So I don't know what the verse is specifically referring to, but on learning from the gods that his creative power, it's it's just a way of speaking that God became aware or the Paramatma manifestation of the Lord became aware that the material universe was not active. So in finding that out, in hearing that, and it says here, hearing it from the gods, so it could have been another manifestation of the Supreme. Uh, But whatever the context, the idea was there was no creation and he brought about creation by the influence of his time element on the modes of material nature. So we can go to that time influence and time influences the Pradhan, the unmanifested, uh, and give some movement to the modes of material nature. So that movement, when expressed through sattva, we call mahat. And that's the jhana shakti of the Lord. Okay. And that time element affecting rajas, when it affects the rajas portion of the modes of material nature, we call that the kriya shakti. There's some movement there. Uh, And when it influences the mode of ignorance, we have a hankar. So the outcome of the Kriya Shakti is actions within the world. And of course, when we, when we in fact affect the mode of ignorance, we call that a hankara, false ego, and that a hankara manifestation gives us an atmosphere, the material elements. So the, di- the displacement of the mode of ignorance results in the material elements that gives you a field of action. So the field of action is, needs to be acted upon. So that's the Kriya Shakti. So we have the mode of passion, and then we have the mode of knowledge, jnana shakti. So, that's what's being spoken of here. Sutra is that other name for, sutra is the name for the, for the mode, of, uh, mode of passion. So, sutra mahat is jnana shakti, sutra is kriya, kriya shakti. 
Ahankar is tamas, and that's the dravya shakti, the dravya, the elemental shakti. So Jiva goes on to to conclude this anacheta. Therefore, the idea that everything is said to be the body of Paramatma, whereas Paramatma is the self-existent in all bodies, is well known from Shruti statements such as, He whose body is the earth. Yasya Prithivi Sariram. In this way, it has been established that the component parts, Avayava, are modifications of Pradhan, whereas the whole, Avayavi, where everywhere is none other than the real existent Paramatma, Paramatma Vastu. This also proves that the universe is indeed not false or imaginary, Mithya. So the conclusion of all this is it's all Paramatma. If you're not seeing Paramatma and Paramatma's energy as the background of everything that's perceived by your senses or perceivable by your senses or inferable from what the senses perceive or the parts that constitute what you perceive being his direct energy of his very separated self, the, depending on how it's separated, depending on how his Shakti of time has affected his Pradhan, which is a which is another manifestation of, of, of him his very self, if you don't see it all as Paramatma, if you can't trace it back to Paramatma, what you're seeing is false. All the other I, all the other ways of looking at things have no significance whatsoever, based on Scripture. They may have significance in the scientific community. They may have significance in so many schools of logical thought and reasoning. They may have significance in so many ways, but in reality. They're all false. They're mental. They're something that, that you've conceived of in a mind that doesn't have fine discrimination based on scriptural ideas or scriptural presentation of reality. So we can stop there. We'll go through a couple things in the commentary before we go on to the next Anucheda. And the next Anucheda, interestingly enough, will deal with the fact that Narada is going to conclude his, his discussion with Yudhisthira. We're going to come up with the fact that, well, Paramatma, the Paramatma, if Paramatma is everything and Paramatma is everywhere and Paramatma pervades everything and we have scriptural injunctions that direct the way 
things are conducted within the material realm, we call that dharma, the dharma shastras, the dharma part of shastras. So that would mean paramatma would be subservient to those that running of, of material nature. So in the ending of this discussion, Narada is, tell, is going to point out to Yudhisthira, but don't think that Paramatma is subject to spiritual injunctions. They don't apply to him. So he's fully the background of everything, but he's also fully independent of everything. Because remember the discussion with Narada, with Yudhisthira is what? It was based on Dharma. At the end, it's coming to this, these, these ideas of regarding seeing the world as the Supreme, seeing everything in the world as, as being a manifestation of the Supreme. But that doesn't mean that because everything in the world is the Supreme, that the injunctions of Scripture apply to him as an independent entity. Thank you so much.